to say, I knew I was going to tie this in last night, and Isaac Covet helped me with it. Uh, because Joe talking to us about that, he has um, a lot of credibility. My brother Joe has been pastoring Life Center in Spokane, Washington for over 40 years. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Lena, for over 40 years. They've raised five children. Do you believe there's been some tough times in that? Yeah, yeah, all three of those. I mean, there's experiences in all of those that are tough sometimes. But here's the deal. There's three things about my brother that I would say over and over again. First of all, that he loves God with all he's got. Secondly, he loves people. And thirdly, he is a lifelong learner. And last time I looked up the definition of disciple, those three things were the key ingredients to that. And if for no other reason, I believe that like the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he comes today to share this word with us, very personal word, and at the same time, a word for all of us. Would you join me in welcoming my brother, Joe Whitworth. Well, good morning, everyone. You're so crazy. It's, you know, I just have to tell you that uh, Anne actually invited me to go to the game with her yesterday. And I'm a, I'm a Duck alum, but I just got to tell you, I mean, there's, there's like fans and then there's like that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I, woo! Yeah. I wasn't sure I wanted to get infected with that. So. <laughs> and next week, by the way, Annie, next week. The, the Ducks are traveling to Pullman to play the Cougs, and it's college game day. College game day. Come, baby. That's going to be something. Well, you all know that you have great pastors, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Jared and Ann have uh, played such an important role in my life. I'm going to tell a story in just a little bit uh, where uh, they were uh, a central part of that story that was, uh, yeah, huge part of uh, who I am and what we do. All right, so today we're going to talk about the story of uh, Jesus calming the storm. And just to, we're going to start with the question, how many of you are currently going through a storm in your life? Okay, let's see your hands. Going through a storm in your life, okay? Now here's the deal. Um, sometimes life's clear sailing, right? You know what I'm saying? Everything's going the way you want. You're, you know, you're happy, you're blessed. And then other times you run into some rough water and uh, it can be tough. And uh, so there were a few hands that went up that you're in storms. All of you that didn't raise your hand, hang on, your turn's coming. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it's inevitable we're going to go through those. So uh, how do we manage the storms in our life? And we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. And it's the story of Jesus inviting his disciples to go to the other side of the lake. And uh, you can see if you've got an outline that there are three things we're going to talk about, all of them about Jesus. And so uh, let's dive into the story here. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided. And all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. 
All right, so before we get to the three points, I want to just kind of go back and retell the story and fill in some details that are, are, are important, I think. So this event happens on what we know as Lake Galilee. I think we've got a satellite photo. There it is, a satellite photo of Lake Galilee. Um, and uh, from top to bottom, the lake is 13 miles long, side to side up at the widest part of the lake, seven miles, so 13 by seven miles. But the most important thing about Lake Galilee is that it's 700 feet below sea level. It's in the Jordan Rift Valley. The Jordan River flows into it from the north, flows through it, flows out the south, and goes down to the Dead Sea. It is the largest freshwater lake below sea level in the world. Uh, but of course, uh, uh, it flows out into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is at 1,412 feet below sea level, and nothing flows out of the Dead Sea, hence it's dead, thank you, yeah. And, uh, uh, and it's a saltwater, uh, body of saltwater. All right, so. You're probably wondering, gosh, I come to church, I'm getting a geography lesson. Hang on to it. It will be important in a moment. All right. So the land around the lake was fertile land. The lake was full of fish. And so during Jesus' time, there were a couple dozen fishing and farming villages that dotted the shores of the lake. And uh, Jesus and his disciples in this particular story were on the west side of the lake. The west side was primarily Jewish. The east side of the lake was primarily Gentile. And so when Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake, it was the other side, not just geographically. It was the other side spiritually. It was the other side racially. It was the other side socially. The other side was known as the region of Decapolis. That means the ten cities. And the inhabitants, as I said, were Gentiles. They were pagans. Uh, in fact, there was actually a rabbinic tradition in Jesus' day that when uh, Israel conquered the land of Canaan, that the seven nations of Canaan that they drove out resettled on the east side of Lake Galilee. And so this was, uh, the other side was filled with pagan temples, with uh, exaltations of sex and violence and greed. On the other side, the pig was used in worship. On the Jewish side, the pig was considered what? Unclean. Yeah, they had nothing to do with it. The Jews regarded the other side as the place where Satan lived. It was dark, it was evil, it was oppressive, and good Jewish people avoided the other side, especially good rabbis. But Jesus goes to the other side. It's almost like he thinks he owns the place. <laughs> Jesus went to the other side because the other side was his side too. And one of the things that is characteristic of Luke's gospel in particular is that Luke over and over again shows Jesus including those who otherwise were excluded. We see it happening over and over again. You know, Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus, a man that nobody else would have stopped for, but Jesus stopped. Jesus healing the Gentile son when only the Jewish people expected that kind of a touch from Jesus. Jesus reaching out to women who were excluded in that community, but included by Jesus in his circle of discipleships. Uh, disciples. Over and over again, Jesus reaches out to the other. And uh, one of the things that, one of the drums I've been beating at my church for the last few years, real simple statement, I say it all the time, I say, move toward the other. Move toward the other. And the other might be someone who is just different than you, different politically. Do we live in a politically polarized culture right now? Oh, my word, yeah. And, uh, and so often, you know, what we tend to do is say, oh, you're one of, you're one of them, yeah. 
You're one of them, and I'm over here. And Jesus moved toward the other. It might be someone who's different politically. It might be someone who's different racially, someone who's different socially. You know, when we walk into a room, we all do this. We look the room over, and we look for someone that we know first. Is there anyone I know? And then if there's no one we know, then we look for someone who is like us, right? We look for someone who looks like us or maybe thinks like us or dressed like us, but we look for someone like us. It's human nature. But the problem with this particular aspect of human nature is that we end up grouped in little bubbles. And Jesus breaks those bubbles all the time. Jesus was constantly moving toward the other, constantly including those who've been excluded. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't help but follow him to the other side. Jesus calls us to the other side. He calls us to bridge the gap and move toward the other. So when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, his disciples weren't real happy about it. This was not a place they liked to go. It was not a place they wanted to go. It wasn't people they wanted to hang out with. Uh, they weren't happy, but they went, and there was an adventure that awaited them. They got into the boat, they set out, and it says that Jesus quickly fell asleep. Now, Mark tells us in his version of this story that it was evening. So Jesus has just spent a long day healing people and teaching people and being with people, and he's exhausted. And so he falls asleep in the back of the boat, and this tremendous storm bursts, and he sleeps right through the storm. Now, this gives you some idea of how exhausted he was and reminds us that Jesus was not only fully God, he was also fully man. In fact, let me just illustrate for this way. Anne, would you come up and help me, my, my, my dear duck sister, and um, just, just sit right here on this top step, if you would, and Anne's going to be Jesus for us. Isn't that appropriate? <laughs> We've needed a female Jesus for a long time. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, so Anne's asleep. She's fallen asleep in the back of the boat. And uh, the storm is, is blowing. That means, that means what? That means the boat's rocking, right? So, I mean, the boat's going back and forth. And, and the wind is howling. And the water is spraying over the edge. Now, she woke up. Jesus, on the other hand, slept right through all of that. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? And the disciples had to come and, and shake him awake. Uh, he was really, really tired. Now, these storms that blew down on the lake were not actually unusual. And he, we're going to come back to our little geography lesson. Remember, the lake was 700 feet below sea level. Only 30 miles away to the northeast was Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon's almost 10,000 feet tall. It snows on Mount Hermon. In fact, Mount Hermon is the place where modern Israelis ski. Just 30 miles away. And so what would happen is the cold air from Mount Hermon would slide down the Great Rift Valley, right down onto the lake, would mix with the warm air rising from the lake and create these violent, turbulent storms. This particular storm was so dangerous, so uh, violent, that even the seasoned sailors in Jesus' group were frightened by it, feared for their lives. Remember, Peter and Andrew and James and John all made their living on the lake. This wasn't their first rodeo, right? They'd seen storms like this before, but it says they were afraid. They realized this was a really bad, bad, bad storm. By the way, I came across this little sentence. You might want to jot it down. It's usually the experts who recognize the need to panic. <laughs> so their boat's getting swamped. They're in great danger. They're fighting to get the sail down. They're bailing for all they're worth. 
And finally, one of them remembers that Jesus is in the boat. And they go to Jesus, and they shake him awake, and they say, Master, we're going to drown. And then I love this. In Mark's version, Mark adds this other little sentence. They say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? Isn't it interesting that they go right from Jesus being asleep from his inactivity to the thought that you must not care for us to let this happen? Have you ever gone there? You ever been in a difficult time, and you're praying and not seeming to get an answer? You're going through something hard, and you wonder, where is God? And isn't it easy to get to that spot that God must not care to let this happen to me? Hold that thought, because we'll see whether he cares or not. So they shake Jesus awake. He stands up. He says, shh. The wind stops. And the sea goes calm. And when I get to heaven, I want to see the video replay of this. <laughs> Don't you? Because I want to see the expression on the disciples' faces. Like, ah. Oh. Because it says they were afraid of the storm. But then it says... When Jesus calmed the storm, says, now they're terrified. Why are they terrified? Because they suddenly realize someone stronger than the storm is in their boat. And they said, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And that question, who is this, is the central question, not just in Luke's gospel, but in all four of the gospels. All the gospels are written to answer that question, who is Jesus? Today, I want to focus, though, on the question that Jesus asked the disciples. And that question was, where is your faith? Where is your faith? At first, it seems almost comical, right? That when they wake Jesus up, he says, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? You know, if I'd been in the boat, I would have said, what do you mean, why are we afraid, Jesus? We're about to go down for the count, right? We're all going to drown. And where is your faith? What in the world does faith have to do with anything? Well, it turns out that faith has everything to do with navigating the storms of life. So why did Jesus ask the question? I'll put a little sentence up here. The disciples lost their faith in the storm because they forgot three important things. Here are the three things. And by the way, these are the three points in your outline, so you can get ahead of the game by writing these down. Here they come. They forgot Jesus' promise. They forgot Jesus' presence. And they forgot Jesus' power. Jesus' promise, Jesus' presence, and Jesus' power. And sometimes we get lost in the storm because we forget those same three things. So let's just unpack them real quickly. Number one on your outline, Jesus promised, and his promise was, we're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. Remember, whose idea was it to go to the other side? It was Jesus' idea, right? This wasn't Peter or Andrew or James or John or any of the disciples who said, hey, let's go visit the other side. It was Jesus who said, Let's go to the other side. And here's the big idea, friends. If Jesus says we're going to the other side, then we're going to the other side. Right, exactly. And we forget that so easily in the midst of the storm. We forget what he said and who said it. In 1993, the NC2A championship basketball game pitted North Carolina against Michigan's Fab Five. Anybody remember this game? Anyone? Okay. A few of the old timers. Good. The high mileage units we like to call you. God bless you. I remember the game distinctly, and here's what happened. Uh, North Carolina was up by two when Michigan star, eventual NBA Hall of Fame, Chris Webber, took the inbounds pass, he dribbled across the timeline, and two NC defenders trapped him in the corner with 11 seconds left, and Webber quickly called timeout. The problem was Michigan didn't have any timeouts left, which means that's a technical foul. North Carolina got two free throws and the ball with 11 seconds left, and of course, the championship. 
After the game, Weber said that he heard someone from the bench yelling at him to call timeout. And in the heat of the battle, that's what he did. What he forgot was that just a minute before, he'd been in a timeout with his coach, and his coach had told the whole team several times, we have no timeouts. Whatever you do, don't call a timeout. He forgot what the coach said. And isn't it easy to do that in the heat of the battle? You know, when you're in the midst of the storm, it's easy to forget what Jesus said in your quiet time this morning. It's easy to forget what the Lord said to you a week ago or a month ago. And this is why it's so important that we stay connected to Jesus. This is why it's so important that we hear from him every day and do what he says. I need to hear a word from God, don't you? I need God's promise to hang on to. And that's what keeps me strong in the storm. So let me tell you that little story I mentioned earlier about uh, that Jared and Ann play a part. In the, in the uh, 1990s, mid-1990s, uh, Life Center, the church I pastor in Spokane, was growing rapidly. Uh, we had just added a third service. And we began to think about uh, how we were going to manage our continued growth. And um, Jared and Ann were a huge influence uh, in my thinking. They encouraged me. They said, Joe, maybe instead of adding a fourth service, why don't you think about planting a church? And I'm going to be really honest with you. I was afraid. I was afraid to do that. Uh, and and when, well, when you hear this story, you'll see why I was afraid. Uh, but uh, uh, they encouraged me strongly to do that. And uh, so uh, they talked to me. They talked to our leaders. Our leaders prayed about it. And we really believed that God spoke to us. We believed that God told us that's what you're supposed to do. You know, next cycle, plant a church instead of adding a fourth service. Well, um, Jared helped me find a church planter, a real fine young man. We brought that guy on our staff, and we gave him an unlimited fishing license. In other words, we told him, we said, you can ask anyone you want in our church to go with you. And he had 13 months to do that. So for 13 months every month, he'd get up and preach in church, and I'd stand up afterwards and say, he's going to go plant a church on the south side of town, and some of you are going to go with him. But uh, he used his unfishing, uh, unlimited fishing license to ask. He asked uh, our worship team. He asked our kids team. He asked our church council. He asked our staff. He asked our administrator for a list of the top 100 givers and went after every one of them. <laughs> this was not a bright idea. So what happened was it just created this really weird tension in our church, you know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it'd be like Lydia, you know, you, you know, here's your, here's your top volunteer over here, and you happen to walk in and see this guy talking to your top volunteer, and what do you assume? He's taking your, he's taking your, your gal or guy, right? You know, and, and you so you, inside you get all, and really they're just talking about the Mariner game, but you don't know that. You assume, yeah, so it was, uh, it was stupid. Anyway, even though it was stupid, God blessed it. He blessed it in a remarkable way. So the time came to launch, and uh, we sent 400 people from our church. Now, to put that in perspective, uh, to put that in perspective, uh, we were running about 1,600 every weekend at the time. So 400 people represented a fourth of our congregation. It was a fourth of our offerings that walked out the door because we were charting that to see, you know. Uh, it was half our worship team. It was half our kids' team. It was members of our council. It was staff members. It was top givers, all those people he asked, he drained the leadership out of our church. And we looked at that and thought, oh, Lord, we are in big, stinking trouble, right? The next Sunday, 
We weren't down by 400 people. By the way, they opened that Sunday with 565 people at their first service. It was a big baby. <laughs> it was a great start. And the next Sunday, we weren't down by 400. We were down by 40. It hadn't taken, we'd planned on two years to fill the seats back up. It took one week. And the next year, we made budget every single month. We have no idea how that happened. It was just a God thing, right? What sustained us through that time where we were scratching our heads going, what have we done? What sustained us was a word from God that the Lord had said, we're going to the other side. You're going to plant a church. It's going to be okay. We're going to the other side. Uh, here we are almost 20 years later, and we have 18 daughter and granddaughter churches that we've planted. And uh, yeah, and, it's, and, and the Lord, it was, we found out that we couldn't give people away fast enough. So maybe you've got something God's asked you to do, and you look at it kind of like we did then. You look at that and go, oh, my word, how's that going to happen? How's that going to work? But if Jesus says we're going to the other side, then we're going to the other side, friends. We're going to the other side. Don't cave into fear. Don't cave into fear. If Jesus says you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. A couple months ago, uh, there was a, a friend of mine, a guy that I care a great deal for, lost his job. This is a, he's a young dad. He and his wife have seven children. I've talked with him about that. <laughs> there are ways to prevent this, you know. I mean, he's got seven kids, lost his job. I was really concerned. I was, in fact, more than concerned, I was anxious. I was, I was worried for him. And so I was praying. And you'll understand when I say this, I was praying hard. Do you know what I mean? I was praying with a lot of emotion, a lot of fervency, and, uh, and this went on for a couple weeks, and then um, one day, I'm praying, and, uh, and in the middle of it, I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and here's what he said. He said, Joe, uh, I really appreciate your concern, but I want to remind you that I love this guy just as much as I love you, and I've got this, so take a deep breath and relax, and so I kept praying for my friend, but I prayed differently now. Do you know what I'm saying? I didn't pray with the anxiety. I didn't pray with that, that sense of nervousness, like, oh, God. I prayed with a sense of confidence. Lord, I know you've got this. And here's the cool thing. Within a month, it was just a few weeks later, he landed a job, and the job was perfect for him, fit him to a T. But here's the other cool thing. The job he was at, he was at the top of the salary level. He wasn't going to go any higher. This job he's got is the same salary, but he's at the bottom of the salary level and has all this room to go up. And so the Lord did an amazing thing. Why did I say that story? Because sometimes when we're in the midst of the storm, we're feeling fearful, we're feeling anxious, and we simply need to remember God's got this, friends. He's got it. And if he says we're going to the other side, then we are going to the other side. You know, fear is a pretty natural response in the storm, isn't it? And faith is a supernatural response. In the moment of the storm, we need to stop and remember. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Would you say that with me? We're going to the other side. That's his promise. Storm or not, we're going to the other side. Number two, Jesus' presence. Jesus' presence. He is in your boat. He is in your boat. So they forgot the promise, but they also forgot his presence, at least momentarily. Now, eventually they got there, but at least momentarily they seemed to forget 
who was in the boat with them, that Jesus was in the boat. I mean, think about this for a minute. This is really kind of a, an amazing thought, right? God has sent his son to redeem the world. God has sent Jesus to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And can you imagine, I mean, do you think, really, do you think that God's going to lose him in a boating accident on Lake Galilee? <laughs> can you just picture the scene in heaven when Michael the archangel shows up? Oh, God, I'm really, really sorry. Um, but little storm on Lake Galilee today, boating accident, and we lost Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wasn't wearing a life preserver, not much we could do, came out of nowhere. You know how it is down there. God goes, oh, bummer, bummer. <laughs> Plan B, I don't know what I'm going to do now. It's just not going to happen, is it? They forgot Jesus was in the boat. They're not going down. Friends, Jesus is in the boat. You're not going down, right? They're not going to go down, not if Jesus is in your boat. And when you give your life to Jesus, when you invite him in, Jesus moves into your life, and he moves into every part of it, storms included. He's not just there in the good times. He's there all the time. He's in the boat with you. In 2006, we at Lane and I had quite a year in 2006. The year started with a cancer diagnosis. I found out I had prostate cancer. My, my dad died of prostate cancer at 64. His dad died of prostate cancer at 58. I'm 54, and I'm diagnosed with it. And um, Lena was at the doctor with me when he gave us that news. We went out to the car afterwards and uh, sat down in the car, and the first thing Lena did was reach across, grab my hand, and said, are you okay? And here's what I told her. I said, you know what? I woke up this morning in God's hands, and nothing's changed. I'm still in God's hands. Jesus is in my boat, right? Six months later, by the way, treated, been cancer-free ever since. Praise the Lord, yeah. But didn't know that sitting there, right? Um, six months later, my son died. My 22-year-old son died unexpectedly and suddenly. And easily the biggest storm in our lives. I think it was Hudson Taylor who said, when trouble comes, it can get between you and God and push you away. Or you can push into God and it will just push you closer. And that's what we did when our son died. Um, you know, I'm a, I've been a daily Bible reader for, I mean, going back into my teenage years. So that was my habit. But suddenly, after my son died, I had this desperate need to hear from God. You know what I'm saying? And so my Bible reading suddenly became different. It was like, okay, God, help. I need to hear from you. And I discovered that Jesus was in my boat. That right there in the midst of the most violent storm we had ever experienced, Jesus was there. Where's your faith? Jesus asked them. Isn't it interesting? In the Bible, when you look up the words, don't be afraid. And, and someone told me, I don't know if this is true, I haven't verified it, but someone told me that that command, fear not or don't be afraid, is the most oft-repeated command in the Bible, that it's in there 365 times, one for every day of the year. I hope that's true. If it's not, pfft, I did, you didn't hear it from me. But anyway, <laughs> when you look that up, look up that phrase, don't be afraid, in the Bible, there's another phrase that usually comes right after it. What is it? Don't be afraid for... I'm with you. Yeah. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. 
Where's your faith, Jesus asked. They just forgot. Hey, Jesus is in our boat. Now, in the disciples' defense, I do have to point out that eventually someone realized that, right? Eventually someone, oh, wait, Jesus is here. They went and woke him up, and Jesus helped him. They went in a panic, but here's an important thing. It's better to come to Jesus in a panic than not come at all, right? They eventually did the right thing. They remembered Jesus was in the boat, and they turned to him. And I want to ask you today, have you done that? In the midst of your storm, whatever it is you're going through, have you remembered that Jesus is in your boat? And have you turned to him and said, Lord, I need your help. I need your help right now. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Jesus is in your boat. Would you say that with me? Jesus is in my boat. Let's say it again. Jesus is in my boat. We're going to the other side. Jesus is in our boat. And here's the third thing. Jesus' power, he can do anything. He can do anything. Now, by this point in Luke's gospel, the disciples have seen Jesus do remarkable things. They've seen him forgive sinners, drive out demons, heal the sick, cure lepers, uh, make the lame walk and the deaf hear, a miraculous catch of it. They've, they've even seen him raise the dead. I mean, in other words, let's say it this way. They've seen Jesus do things that only God can do, right? Only God can do them. So they're, they have this dawning realization. Jesus can do anything. Jesus can do anything. And yet here in the storm, they forgot that. When my kids were little, uh, we used to tell them a Bible story every night, um, bedtime. And uh, this particular story I remember so distinctly. Lena, do you remember this? We'd... we'd, uh, we'd act out the stories sometimes. It was really fun doing this because it makes the stories come alive. So this particular night when we're telling this story, I put all five of the little kids on just, you know, a little twin bed. It was our boat, and they're all down at one end of the boat, and uh, they're going to be the disciples, and, and, and of course, I'm Jesus. And <laughs> I'm telling the story. I can be whoever I want. So I'm Jesus. So I'm asleep up in this end of the boat, and we're, we're telling the story about the wind and the waves and everything. Then finally, one of them comes and shakes me awake, and I stand up on the bed, and I say, shh, something they heard me say often. <laughs> shh, and the still is gone. Then I ask them, I say, okay, what did you learn from this story? And they would say the same thing they'd say about all the miracle stories. They said, Jesus can do anything. Jesus can do anything. I wanted my kids to grow up believing that, don't you? Jesus can do anything. Have you ever been in a storm and then suddenly it dawns on you? I haven't asked Jesus for help. I'm a natural schemer. Anybody else in the room? You all know what I'm talking about? When I see a problem, my first response isn't to think, oh, I should pray about it. My first response is, how am I going to fix this? What am I going to do? I start planning. I start scheming. I start working. But when you're in a storm, I mean, the disciples were bailing for all they were worth. They were still going down, right? All their scheming, all their working wasn't going to fix anything. They needed to turn to Jesus. In the midst of the storm, it's important to remember. Sometimes, you know, some of you aren't schemers. Some of you aren't roll your sleeves up and get it done. Some of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, are just worriers. You know what I'm saying? You get in the storm, and instead of thinking, how can I fix this? You think, ah, we're going down. Either way, whether you're a schemer or a worrier, we need to do the same thing. We need to turn to Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests 
known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that verse because it reminds me that anxiety ought to be a catalyst to prayer. Every time I catch myself worrying, that's the signal, time to pray, right? Time to pray. And the good news is when I pray, it says, he'll give me his peace. Scott Kerpain used to sing a song called, uh, it has this phrase in it, sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms his child. But either way, when I turn to him, he brings his peace. So what are you worried about? Jesus says, shh, peace be still. What are you afraid of? Jesus says, shh, peace be still. What's the storm you're in the middle of? Jesus says, shh, peace be still. We simply need to turn to him. And it says, when we pray, his peace that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to him right now. Uh, the team's going to come back and lead us in a song. We're going to sing while we, is that right? Yes, okay. <laughs> I was just, oh, there you are. Yeah, yeah. You guys didn't want to hear the sermon? What? What was the, just, uh. I better be careful because Marley can dish it out. Have you guys, you all know that about you. So, all right, so we're going to sing. And uh, then when we're, and while we're singing, I want to invite you to think about the storm that you're in right now, and whatever it is, to bring it to Jesus. Just bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, give, help me, help me. Uh, and then I'm going to come back up, and we're going to just take a moment to pray over some of these things, and then, then we'll close. All right?
all about learning to trust Him in our storms. So interesting that uh, just before we left to come here, we had a, a storm break um, that uh, really disrupted my equilibrium. I suddenly felt like my boat was tossing and turning. And uh, my wife has been so good for me the last few days because every time I start to feel that disequilibrium, she takes my hand and says, God's in our boat. The Lord's got this. It's going to be okay. It is, isn't it? It's going to be okay. He's with you in your storm too. So I want you to just repeat these things with me and then we're going to pray. They're real simple. We're going to the other side. Let's say it. We're going to the other side. Jesus is in my boat. And Jesus can do anything. So Lord, remind us of that when we're in the storm. And rather than being anxious or fearful or panicked, give us your peace, that peace that passes all understanding because we're going to the other side and Jesus is in our boat and you, Lord, you can do anything. Thank you, in Jesus' name.